Hello, and welcome to Our Hidden Stories. I'm your host, Sharice Johnson. If we're honest, most of us live life through a social media highlight reel, only sharing parts of who we are with those around us. Well, today is an opportunity to not only listen, but to get out of the game of hide and seek we often play with ourselves. So sit back, get comfortable, and let's dive into today's episode. Because remember, there are always layers of hidden stories waiting to be told. Today on episode two, I am joined by the beautiful and wonderful Sean Futch. She hails from Rochester, New York, where she is the director at, don't let me say it wrong, is it Action for a Better Community? Correct. You got it. Awesome. Good. So what makes her even more special than the work that she does in the community of Rochester, New York, is that she is my mother-in-law. So (laughs) if you listened to episode one and heard the time that I spent talking with my husband, um, if you haven't, go back because it's, you know, the stories connect. But even if you haven't, this is going to be beautiful. So thank you for, for joining. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to do this. Yeah, I'm excited for you to just be a part of the conversation. You know, we have definitely had our fair share of conversations over time. But if there's one thing I'm learning as I continue to get older, there is always more to what everybody has experienced. I feel in every conversation I've had, whether I'm preparing for this or just talking to other people, sometimes you can know people for years before you even find out bits and pieces about them. Now, in Black families, I will just speak for what I do know. This may not be every Black family. It is often not common or even considered respectful to share your story. You know, so when I'm thinking about why we don't say much, there's a lot of reasons, but I think one of those reasons is that whole saying, what happens in our house stays in our house. What made you decide you were willing to share and what makes now the time? Because I'm in a healing process. And what I've learned is that in order to heal completely, you have to be willing to share. You have to be willing to actually put it in the atmosphere. Yes, this happened and I got over it. Let me help you. And the only way we can do that is to talk about it. The only way we can help each other is to share the experiences that you've had. You know, so often we hear people say, I know what you're going through, when actually they don't. Or maybe Mm. they do. And I just don't know that they do. But if we begin to tell each other our stories, then when you say to me, I know what you're going through, I'm more apt to really believe you and to trust you. You know, it's funny that you say that because I think a lot of times we think that telling somebody who's going through a hard time, I know what you're going through is helpful, but it's not always. No, it's not. Sometimes it can be very invalidating because even if we have a shared experience, my experience will never actually be like yours. And it's much better to say, wow. I can't imagine what that's like for you Mm -hmm. and then give them the space to go, oh, well, yeah, let me fill you in. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's start kind of in the now and then we'll work okay. our way around. Tell us a little bit about what you do in your current role. So I am, as you said, the director of Focus on Self-Sufficiency, which is a department within Action for a Better Community. Um, we call it ABC uh, for short. Uh, so ABC is a community action agency, and there is a community action agency in every city. Um, you, it typically will cover a county. Here in Rochester, we cover two counties. And so that means that anyone living in poverty in either one of those counties can come to our organization for support in anything that's going to lead them from poverty, which is usually where they are today, to wherever mm -hmm. they want to be in life. So that means that we're going to help them with growth. We're going to help them with education. Mm -hmm. We're going to help them with housing. We're going to help them with parenting. Whatever it is in their life, we're going to help. And that doesn't mean that we have all of the programs to do the job. If we sure. don't have them, then we are an agency who likes to partner, and we go out and find that service that that individual needs, but we walk yeah. alongside people. So we don't do it for them. We do it with them. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. I think that makes such a big difference in them also feeling equipped or kind of learning the process along the way. Now, Absolutely. you have a very unique story in terms of your own growth and early life. So, you know, we're thinking about your role as director in Action for a Better Community. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about growing up for yourself, how would what you do now have helped you? You know, so just bridging there for a Gosh. moment. Uh, it, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think there's a program within ABC that would not have helped me. Um, mm -hmm. Being a teenager who had not finished high school, um, one of the mm -hmm. programs I oversee is for individuals or adults who have not finished high school. I'm also mm -hmm. a New York State examiner. So having someone like that in my life would have been ideal, fantastic, mm -hmm. actually. Um, we yeah. also have um, Head Start in our agency. So helping mm -hmm. a single mom with small children through the Head Start process, getting them into mm -hmm. education at an early age. Um, we also have the um, a program that works with pregnant moms while they're at home. It's called Home Base. They actually go to the home and walk them through that pregnancy and make sure they have everything they need on the day of birth. That would have been yeah. perfect, right? Wow, uh, yeah. We have relationship building um, programs here where we get to talk about our relationships. And when I say relationships, I mean in anything. It doesn't have to be with a significant other. It could be your relationship with your, your own parent or your relationship with the last boss. Why were you fired? Why aren't you still working there? What was the dynamic? Mm -hmm. So just knowing how to deal with other people in relationships. Uh, and yeah. the list kind of goes on and on that... Um, the services that would have been available to me had I known about them at that time. Yeah, that sounds so comprehensive too, with just helping a mother at any point in her life, yes. you know, yes. and where she is. Yes. So I want to spend some time just kind of navigating through your story, which I know there is <laughs> no possible way that we'll get through all of it. But when you think about your life and the bits and pieces of it that definitely make you who you are now, tell me just a little bit about any of those early childhood moments that for you are key or a turning point mm -hmm. in how you thought about yourself or even maybe grown over time. Sure. So 
when I think about my childhood, I go back to, to before birth because I believe that um, things happen in the womb. Uh, my mom gave me up for adoption when I was two weeks old. My mother was 18 when she gave birth to me, and I was her second child. Uh, so I know for her, life had to be very, very hard in the late 50s. Um, and so she spent time thinking about what she was going to do if she was going to abort or adopt, put out for adoption. And so in that process, I believe, this is my personal belief, that um, as a woman, when you know you have a child in the womb, you begin to either attach or detach yourself from that baby. And I believe that my mom began that process of detaching herself from me so that she could give me away. Wow. That's got to be very, very hard. Um, if mm-hmm. I, when I think about myself having children, um, the whole nine months, it wasn't about I'm not going to see or have this child, you know. So yeah. um, I'm, I'm just suspecting that she went through a hard time while she yeah. was carrying me. And as an infant, I felt that. I felt that rejection. Mm. I felt that really way, you know. And so I was born into that. Um, mm-hmm. And then she gave me to someone who was not taking me to be my mother, but she was taking me to give me to another mother. So I think of her, and from what I gather, that um, woman had me for about two weeks um, prior to giving me to my final home. Yeah. Um, So just the idea of a a newborn baby going from hand to hand to hand of three women. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I write a lot in my journal, and I, I... sometimes will venture off into poetry. And I do that because it's another way of healing for me, but it has to Mm -hmm. be about something that I went through. And I try to put a positive twist on whatever it is. And I wrote a poem about these three women that the first one loved me so much that she gave me away because she knew she Mm -hmm. couldn't do it. The second one loved me enough to watch over me and make sure that I went from the right hand to the right hand. Mm. And the last one loved me unconditionally. And so I have wow. to hold on to that because if I don't, I can lock in my mind that, that sense of rejection mm-hmm. and feel like I'm always rejected. When in actuality, yes, I was rejected in the womb because she had to for her own peace of mind and safety. Yeah. But she rejected me to give me love. Yeah. So you know, that. first of all, my mind cannot fathom you know, being a mom myself, detaching. My kids are getting ready to leave and I'm having to detach them from them for a different reason. But I cannot imagine you feeling this baby grow and move yeah. and then having to cut that off so that you can follow through with what's better. Right. You know, it's interesting though, because you say rejection and I felt that. And a lot of people listening might think, well, how would you have felt that you would have been a baby But one of the things I want to say is we actually do know that genetically we can feel from generation to generation the emotions and the dispositions that -hmm. our family has. You know, that's Mm -hmm. part of why when we're pregnant, we're encouraged to try to be calm, to really work on any areas Mm -hmm. for us that aren't stressful. And I often do think we're kind of like a recipe in a way. And what that would have been like, I can hear that you're putting a positive spin on it now, Mm -hmm. but growing up 
and feeling that sense of abandonment or not feeling like you belong or feeling rejected, mm-hmm. I imagine that wasn't always a positive spin. It was not. And for me, I didn't realize or know that I had been adopted until I was six years old, mm-hmm. which was a very pivotal, pivotal time in my life as well. Um, once I found out about the adoption, it's almost like it feeded that spirit of rejection. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you understand what I'm saying, it's like it, Yeah. you know, it was something I felt, but I didn't know. I, I At the time, I couldn't put a name on it. Um, the yeah. minute I found out about the adoption, I knew in my six-year-old mind, you know, they didn't want me. Mm-hmm. Or the words of the mm-hmm. adult who told me um, mm-hmm. that I had been adopted and was not really her relative or part of her family. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really How nice of her. <laughs> very nice of her. That was really devastating for a child to have to hear and go through. And then yeah. you go home and you look at your parents and wonder, well, who are you people? Because yeah. that lady just told me, you're not my mom and dad. Uh, so yeah. that was a lot for me as a child to go through. I think at that point in my life would have been a good time for my parents to talk to me about that before someone in the community had the opportunity mm. to do what they did or in the family. Yeah. 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 So another protect. great example. Mm-hmm. Yes. Trying to protect, like we're not going to say anything. Yeah. We're not going to address it if we don't have to. So if you're comfortable sharing, when you, well, did you go to your parents and tell them what somebody said and was it discussed then? I did. I cried. I was crying when we got in the car. We were um, mm-hmm. at a family's house when it was said, and I and I was crying. And my mom said, "Well, yeah, you know, you were adopted, but you're with us, and we're your parents now, and we love you." She took me through that whole little process. Um, you yeah. know, back then, people didn't really talk or know how to talk like we do now yeah. to soothe yeah. a situation. It was a mm-hmm. more of a "they're there now, you'll be okay." Yeah. Yeah. Which maybe would have been okay for a moment, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, at six, okay, I'll I'll stop crying. Mm-hmm. I'm here, this is stable. But I'm also then it makes me wonder, so how did that influence how you received love or mm-hmm. your ability to believe that you could be loved and wanted? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, one of the things that my parents did at that time, the same year, they adopted another child. Um, and they allowed me to be a part of that process. I actually remember um, we went to Jamestown, New York to get the other baby. And I remember them showing me a photo album and telling me mm-hmm. to pick the baby I wanted. So I actually mm. picked my sister. Wow. Um, it was hard for me and for my sister. We never really built a, a sisterly bond. Um, and, and I, you know, hold a lot of the responsibility for that because I was the older child. And I wonder today if it had anything to do with the fact that I knew we weren't really sisters. Mm. But it also kind of blows my mind in a way that you're holding yourself responsible at six years old for not being able to connect and love your sister. Like what makes you think even now that that is your responsibility? I don't know. It's just a feeling I have. I've always had that. It it must've been something that didn't click for me, even though they tried by taking me through the process with them and having me pick the picture and all of that. Mm -hmm. But there had to be something inside my little brain 
that didn't click mm-hmm. and accept it as openly as they wanted me to. Yeah, yeah. So then how did that continue? So even outside of your sister, what about as you got older and then you're connecting with wanting to find the love of someone to spend your life with? Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. Um, I have a hard time trusting people when they say, I love you. Mm. You know, I'm there for you. Uh, it's really difficult for me to believe that totally. It takes time. And over time, it, it, it'll happen. But on the front end, yeah. at the beginning stages, I'm very, very cautious of new beginnings and new relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because? Um, because I don't know if you're going to leave. You know, and so over the years, I've always had that fear of not being someone that you would love or want to have in your life for a long period of time. And that eventually mm-hmm. our rejection is just going to happen. That's just been that part of my life and that part of growing up, that it's there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led me into being a very, a very depressed person over the time, over time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a single mom, I dealt with a bout of depression to the point mm-hmm. where depression became my friend. Mm. Wow. Um, depression is what, what does that I, mean? That, that's what I looked for because I knew that feeling. I could feel that. And I knew it was real. I, and I knew it was there for me. Wow. It was the only I thing wanna... that I relied on. Yeah. I'm going to pause you for a minute because, man, mm-hmm. you have put out a mouthful, you know, when I think about rejection, I feel so many of us can identify with that feeling. Mm -hmm. And when you describe it, it makes me think of a wall, you know, so we put up that wall Mm -hmm. so that other people can't get in, you know, or to keep other people out really. Right. But then other people can't get in. So it's this conflict between, oh, I really want this, but I'm afraid it's not real. And so you keep everything on the other side, which absolutely is going to create this sadness, this void Mm -hmm. of, I don't have it. And then the statement that you made that, of course, my clinical mind is just eating Mm -hmm. up is depression became my friend. So we can have these, you know, really dark and challenging experiences, but we can be so comfortable with the dysfunction that it's easier to trust that. Right. Than it is to trust something better and brighter something alive and livable those are the things I pushed away yeah so then what was it like being a mom and battling depression at the same time it was very difficult it was very difficult but I loved my children I loved them Mm. so much um (laughs) you know I I had my first child when I was 17 and then I had twin boys by the time I was 19. So at 19, wow. I was a mom of three children and a wife. Man. Um, so life was very, very, very difficult. <laughs> That's a lot. At yeah. 19. Yeah. Oh, three, my goodness. Three in diapers. Different my daughter. <laughs> I love you, Cece, but she's 20 and no ma'am. Like, yes. <laughs> no ma'am. A couple of hours babysitting, yes. But wife, three children in diapers, that takes my breath away. And battling Mm -hmm. depression Mm -hmm. inwardly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was not easy. 
But looking at those babies just took it all away for the moment. You know, my friend that I call depression um, would seep in in the middle of the night when everyone else was sleeping. Yeah. Okay. You know, I wasn't. And I think that's why, you know, I think about now and even at work here, they say I'm always doing something. I'm always busy. I'm always juggling more than one thing. And I think that's just a part of who I am at this point. Because back then, unless I was overly busy, I was depressed. Mm -hmm. If I had time to sit and be quiet, I could hear that friend talking to me, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my way of battling that was to stay as active and as busy as possible. And so having three babies, of course, will keep you busy. Yes, it will. When they go to sleep, it's a whole new thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, because that doesn't work long term. You know, like that's not sustainable. It's very common. You know, even when we think about now, so we're in the middle of a pandemic that mm-hmm. all has us slowed down mm-hmm. to a snail's pace. One yeah. of the biggest things that I've seen is a lot of people have strong emotions, such as depression, that is plummeting up, you know, mm-hmm. and plummeting is usually down, but it's kind of a, a bounce down mm-hmm. and then it pops back up because they can't stay busy anymore. They You're can't right. use their schedule right. to avoid the thoughts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone through that myself, even during this time. Um, we were sent mm-hmm. home to work from home. And, and again, I could be very busy at home, but there came moments when I wasn't busy and I yeah. would be sitting, looking at the computer screen, wishing an email or a phone call or something would happen to give me something mm-hmm. to do. It got to a point where I wouldn't go outside. We were home from mid-March until two mm-hmm. weeks ago. I would not mm-hmm. go out my door. Wow. Out of fear and dep- and and the depression just sunk in because I wouldn't yeah. go out just for air. Mm-hmm. I was so afraid wow. of what was happening outside, mm. um, and so I stayed in. And I, and I remember my husband would say, "Do you want me to go to the grocery store?" Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. You want me to do? And, and so he kept doing those things for me, uh, so I didn't yeah. have to. But then the day came where I decided that I had to do something for me to stop this or I would Mm. still be at home right now. You know, you can feel that thing building and building and building. Sure. So um, I began to open the door and just stand in my doorway. Mm. Um, Mm. And then eventually I took a step and I just sat on the the first step out the door. And I made that I just made it a thing that I had to do every day to get me back into the routine of going outside um, because I didn't want to deal with that depression again. Yeah. But I love the imagery that you just gave of, you know, I had to make a decision and I had to take a step. And, you know, one thing I'll say is depression is not something that just leaves on its own. I know we would love to hope that it would, Mm -hmm. but it actually takes facing it, you Mm -hmm. know, which in some ways is is kind of what you did. And even when we keep ourselves super busy, it buries, you know, but it comes back and it can stay with us and and make life small. When did you realize, you know, because you use that word, (laughs) that depression was not a friend for you anymore. I noticed the last segment, you didn't call it a friend. Mm -mm. So... When did you notice that it really wasn't a friend? 
I went through, um, well, let's go back a little bit. My, my husband and I, my children's father and I separated and divorced when the, the kids were very young. Um, I had dealt with cancer. I had lymphoma cancer and Hodgkin's blood disease. So I went through two years wow. of fighting that with surgery, um, chemotherapy and radiation, all, all three methods wow. of treatment. Um, and so once all of that happened, and I'm cleared health-wise, I'm mm -hmm. also now a single mom. So wow. at this point in my life, that depression thing was really full force. Yeah. Uh, it stayed with me, as you said, over the years. As I was mm -hmm. growing my children to where they are mm -hmm. today, I still dealt with that. But mm -hmm. then um, I met this guy, and he really liked me. <laughs> <laughs> he liked me more than I liked me. And um, in the process of his pursuing me, mm -hmm. he eventually got me to marry him. <laughs> so I, I um, prior to the marriage, we decided to do premarital counseling. Mm -hmm. And it was during the counseling that I realized that the depression was not my friend. I saw mm -hmm. how things that I would do and say in the relationship were all a part mm -hmm. of the bout I dealt with in depression yes. and rejection yeah. and all of that. And so a lot mm -hmm. came out. Um, I totally, totally uh, think premarital counseling is the way to go because so mm -hmm. much can come out, not only a, uh, about how you are going to be as a spouse or what's going to happen there, but how are you as an adult? How are you with yourself? Mm -hmm. And so right. I had to deal with me before I could be the, the wife that my husband has. Yeah. You know, when we were talking about that kind of symbolism of a wall, it, it makes me almost think that, you know, there's so many things now that we can place on your wall. You've got single mom, you know, you have being married at a young age, you have divorce, then you have later on as you go down life, depression, mm -hmm. you have cancer, mm -hmm. all of these pieces and one of the things that I want to highlight is most of the time, not all of the time, we don't choose to heal unless there's a relationship mm -hmm. that tends to make us feel like it's worth trying. Right. Healing actually happens in relationship and in community, which is why it's so much more daunting when we're off by ourselves. So we're sad, we're depressed, right. and our natural inclination is to be by ourselves because we don't want anybody to see. Right. But the healing comes when we let somebody in and we go, I don't want to lose them. And you're not doing it for them, but you need that internal and that external mm -hmm. motivation. Here's something mm -hmm. that's worth fighting for if you're not worth fighting for mm -hmm. at the moment. Right. You know? Yeah. But I'm also wondering, what was that like to, I guess, just deal with? Because that's a lot to go. Now I have to be still and I have to look at all of this and see it all and sift it all. It was hard. That wasn't yeah. easy, you know. And when you do that, other things come up that you don't think about anymore. Those other things that you went through that you may bury. Um, for me, it was um, sexual abuse. Um, as I said earlier, when I was six years old, that was a really hard time for me as it was. And then to hear that I was adopted. But along with all of that, I was being sexually abused by two of my um, relatives. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, and that was something that nobody knew about but me. 
So even that came out as I began to try to deal with my healing of depression um, mm-hmm. and rejection. All of that began to bubble up. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy that it did because as you open the floodgates, might as well get it all out, right? Yeah, and yeah. So I was able to deal with all of that. And, and that also happened through my premarital counseling. Um, and I remember um, Bishop Paris was was our counselor at the time and our pastor. And um, one of the things he had me do was to write letters to my abusers. Mm. Um, one of them was deceased by that time. The other one was still alive. Mm-hmm. He said, you don't have to mail it, but get it out. I want you to get out mm-hmm. what, what you're feeling, put it on paper. Um, yeah. And that started a journey for me as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and then it kind of takes me back to what you were saying earlier with maybe your journaling and yeah. your writing. Mm-hmm. And that is such a powerful way not to keep everything internalized. Right. One of the aspects, you know, when I was talking with Randy during the last mm-hmm. episode was him even wondering, am I remembering things the the right way? And so part of me kind of bridging that experience and what you're talking about in writing mm-hmm. is that helps us own our truth. Yes. You know, while it stays in our head, we can question ourselves. Absolutely. and diminish it and minimizing is actually a way that we protect our psyche especially if it's with a family member you know we try to tell ourselves oh well it wasn't that bad and maybe it was my fault or maybe it was something Mm -hmm. that I did Mm -hmm. um and it happens automatically especially Mm -hmm. in childhood so being able to write it down if you can't say it yet Mm -hmm. is one of the most powerful ways to open the door and Mm -hmm. look at it Mm -hmm. and and sit with it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Something. Even now, not you know, knowing how other family members who may hear this recording, who didn't know that, how are they yeah. going to take that? What are they going to say to me? You know, you don't know. Mm-hmm. And it makes you a little, it makes me a little anxious. Um, but sure. uh, it's my healing and it's my truth. And yeah. so I'm going to hold on to that. Yeah. Well, you know, I honor that courage. I think you've done it in a very respectable way. You know, you didn't give dates and times and names. And I say that because I want to point that out to anybody that's listening that also has a similar story or story of just feeling like they're holding it in and not able to say it. Part of that is when we keep it internalized, it also maintains feeling like we're a victim, Mm -hmm. you know, when we've gone through an experience like molestation or anything where we feel violated, one of the common pieces is feeling helpless or feeling like you don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. You know, victims will often say, why didn't I scream? Why didn't I yell? Yeah. Why didn't I say something? Mm-hmm. And so that process that you've been through of like writing and now just sharing it, it's a big part of reclaiming. Yeah. Your voice. Yeah. And for me, you know, when I I hear you say that, why didn't I scream? Why didn't I do this? Or why didn't I do that? Um, There was one particular incident that I do want to talk about. Um, The perpetrator was in my room and my sister and I had bump beds at the time. And I slept on the top because I was the oldest. And (laughs) he would stand up and, and do what he was going to do to me. Mm-hmm. And that particular night, my parents had a lot of family member o- 
over. They were all in the kitchen playing cards and doing those sort of things. And he was in my room and I was just hoping that he would stop or someone would come and save me. Yeah. Uh, A few minutes into it, the door opened and it was his wife. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I looked at her, my eyes got big because I was excited. He was going to stop now because she was here. Mm -hmm. She looked at me. She looked at him. She turned around, walked out and closed the door. At that moment, it was like, so women don't help little girls. Mm. And I grew up with Mm. that. So my ability to have really strong, healthy relationships with women has been tainted because of that. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I, just, I, don't, I don't know if I can trust you. Is there something in the mm-hmm. female, you know, body that <laughs> keeps you from helping each yeah. other or doing yeah. for each other? I mean, that's so traumatic. <laughs> I mean, on so many levels, you have the violation, you have it's yeah. a family member, and then you have I'm helpless. I am the victim here. Somebody sees it and turns and walks away. And she's the adult. I'm the child. And she's the adult. Yeah. Wow. And I'm not quiet because I don't know what to say. I'm just honestly taking that in for a moment because I can't imagine the betrayal is the word I'm choosing. Mm-hmm. that would then add to the rejection. Yeah, yeah. And and you're six, seven years old. I mean, right. still right. so young. That would have been difficult at any age. Any let age. me say that. Mm-hmm. 26 would have been just as difficult as six. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we want to, in our mind, to believe that children are afforded a childhood. Mm-hmm. And given the opportunity to grow up in safety. And it's just such a reminder to me that that is not always the case. It is not. Yeah. Yeah. I am so sorry that that happened to you and that you weren't saved from that experience in that Mm -hmm. moment. And that may not sink in in this moment, but I still hope it, it resonates at some point. And then it, brings up for me, we often struggle as women to trust Mm -hmm. and rejection. And a lot of times when we look into that deeply, we do find it tends to be more about our broken places than it really does those other people. Right. Absolutely. You know, we project it on them or we, again, we put up that defense or we overcompensate Mm -hmm. trying to belong and be accepted. But when that, those parts of our lives are unhealed, Mm -hmm. it is just impossible to truly believe that people can love us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So going through all of these things at such a young age and your story gets exponentially more difficult Mm -hmm. every time you talk about a different section other than your children, what, what motivated you or kept you full of joy? I mean, you're smiling right now if everybody mm-hmm. could see you <laughs> and most people would not be 
filled with smiling. They would not Mm -hmm. be reaching down to help other people. So what's helped you get through all of this? My children. My children have been my saving grace. Um, I believe that they were brought into my life at the time that they were brought into my life um, Mm -hmm. for me and Mm -hmm. me for them. Um, And I will always hold on to that. By the time I was 20, because of the cancer, I was considered mm-hmm. sterile, and I was not able to have children anymore after my voice. Whoa. So if you um, wouldn't have had those children earlier, whoa, you would not have been able to have kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a huge possibility, <laughs> you know, with the cancer yeah, being what it was. Yeah. 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 That almost brings tears to my eyes. It really does. Because there are so many times, I again just believe, where things happen in our life and they're not great. (laughs) And we can question the timing. Mm -hmm. And then something happens and we realize, but man, if it wouldn't have been that timing, Mm -hmm. where would I be in this area? Like, that's mind blowing because you could have been. Mm-hmm. maybe have lived life and yearned to be a mom yeah, and not have that opportunity. Not only that, I believe that my children were born with a huge purpose for their lives. And my prayer now is that they recognize what that purpose is and they live to the fullest because for yeah. whatever it is, they had to be here. Yeah. They had to be here. And you went through a lot to make sure that they were here. I did. And that they stayed. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm married to one of those <laughs> handsome I children. Know. So I will say on my behalf, and I've said this to you before, thank you for You're all welcome. that you've done to create him <laughs> <laughs> and put him here on earth, you know. Hey, just think but, about it. He's here. Cece is here. RJ is I here. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, we could keep this lineage mm-hmm. going. And it is very much a powerful story when we take the pieces and see here's what you went through but because of that here's what he's been able to do and here's Mm -hmm. what you know your grandchildren have been able to do yeah that to me is why we have to talk you know so yes there's some hard and and ugly moments Mm -hmm. in the middle of those Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. but it's also helpful for our children and their children to see, but you have legacy, right? You know, you have purpose and people have fought in a way that you don't even understand so that you can have what you have. Um, that that's amazing. Um, and then now I have a perspective that I've been trying to piece together for as long as I've known Randy Mm -hmm. and knowing he is so passionate about family mm-hmm. I mean and hey that is not a conversation we had in college when we met because who was <laughs> even thinking about that right. I wasn't I didn't even like I was like I don't want kids until like we've been married five you know what I mean mm-hmm. so yeah I remember I that have, letter yeah, I remember that questions. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nope so let's, let's put that on the table so to see full circle you know where that is a passion in him that was likely birthed that he doesn't even realize right. like he does, but he doesn't right. at the same time right. to me for us, that has 
kind of broken a cycle. Yeah. In a way, you know, absolutely. Our, our kids have been afforded certain things that they wouldn't have mm-hmm. because you didn't give up. Did not. I didn't give up. And you might know that, but I want to say that. Yeah. I worked hard. Um, yeah. For most of their childhood, I worked three jobs at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did what I needed to do to make sure my children had um, as much as I can give to them. It wasn't always the best, and I'm sure they yeah. could have had more, but I showed them what hard work looks like and determination yeah. looks like and how you protect mm-hmm. your own. You take care of your mm-hmm. babies. Yeah, and that he has down. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> that I will say. And just to put it out there, I have 12 grandbabies. <laughs> you do. I have that 12 of them. <laughs> amazing and hilarious they yeah. are so funny and creative and smart and yeah. and brilliant but again I I do love that because I think so many stories are broken and not discussed because we're working to hide what we don't want people to see mm-hmm. and we don't get a chance to say you know what but when I see you guys it's worth it you know these yeah. are stories that we can share, you know, I hope all the grandchildren hear this Me too. so that when they're in a moment that they might feel like things are getting hard or that they want to give up, they can say to themselves, well, Nana, that's what they mm-hmm. call you. Yeah. She didn't give up. And if she can do it, you know, I'll be okay. You know, Absolutely. just being able to, I guess, you know, maintain and, and build off of each other's strength. Absolutely. When you think about your story, what do you want people to know most? What do you hope they most remember? That you can make it, that you can do it. Um, it takes determination that you have to find inside. You have to really dig deep. Uh, and I think that's what I did. And also, um, you know, when you talk about my smiling and all that I went through and, you know, how can I be so happy now? Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, has been ideal for me, I, I think I told you the last time we talked, um, listening to an interview um, that Viola Davis did. And she said something that really resonated with me. She talked about her own childhood and how t- terrible mm-hmm. it had been. And how she was always trying to go back and heal the little girl in her. And for years, I did the same thing. I was going back to six years old, trying to Mm -hmm. heal. You know, my my family called me Sherry as I was growing up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think my father couldn't pronounce Sean. uh, And he picked his own name. (laughs) I see. Um, And so I'm always trying to go back and and heal six-year-old Sherry. But as Viola Davis said, and and I'm going to take her words as mine now, um, actually, Sherry is the one who did the healing. She's healing me because she showed me how strong she was. She's conquered. She made it through everything she went through, Um, being told she wasn't good enough, being rejected, being abused physically. Um, even in the home we lived in, my father was an alcoholic. So living with an alcoholic as a child um, was yeah. trying within itself. Um, not finishing high school as a teenager, not going to prom, not walking the graduation stage, all those things that 
uh, Sherry went through mm -hmm. has healed me. I see how strong she was. And then when wow. I bring that even further in, I realize that um, I am Sherry today. Mm -hmm. So I'm strong. I've conquered a yeah. lot of things in this life. You know, I was mm -hmm. able to go back and reclaim some of those things that um, were taken from me back then or things that I purposely gave away, like education back then. Yeah. Um, I yeah. was able to go back and get that and finish school. And I now have a bachelor's degree and, and I'm working a wonderful job and I have a great husband and beautiful children and grandchildren. So now I see the good in everything that happened, even though it was mm -hmm. some bad stuff, the depression mm -hmm. and uh, all of those things I went through. So if mm -hmm. people hear anything and remember anything from all of this, is that through all you go through, there's still a, a strong spirit inside that's fighting with you as you yeah. walk through that valley. And you will come out on the other end. And then you need to tell yourself how strong you are. Thank yeah. that younger person that lived in you, <laughs> that they were able to mm -hmm. help you conquer and be the person you are today. Yeah, I think that is one of the most powerful twists on the inner child. You know, we often, like you said, we think about going back and reclaiming something that's lost instead of honoring right. you were so young, but you were so strong. And that part of who we are is still within us. Yeah. And our pain absolutely has purpose when we're willing to make the choices and fight for it. Mm -hmm. and, and that is so powerful. Thank you so much. I feel like we could go on for hours at yeah. end. I will say for those of you who would want to hear more from Sean, that she <laughs> is a writer and is working on writing a book. And when it's finished, I cannot wait to continue to learn more about your story. And for those of you who have listened for us today, there's a lot here. To, to take all in, but be encouraged that your own story is not over yet. It's not over. Yeah, that there's and it's, still so much ahead. So much. And it gets better. Mm -hmm. It gets yeah. better. It gets better with time, for sure. It does. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.